Hello and welcome to The Loop. My name is Susan Ball. I'm a tax partner in RSM specialising in employment-related tax matters and the current president of the Chartered Institute of Taxation. This episode is our next instalment in a mini-series dedicated to all things tax. In this series, we ask some leading lights in the profession their views on some of the current issues causing quite a stir across the country right now, including what they would do if they were put in charge of the UK tax system. Our guest today is Bill Dodwell. Lots of us will know Bill as the Director at the Office of Tax Simplification, which he was appointed to in 2019. Bill is also the Editor-in-Chief of the Chartered Institute of Taxation's Tax Advisor magazine and website, and a member of the General Anti-Avoidance Abuse Rule panel prior to being Head of Tax Policy at Deloitte and a former President of the Chartered Institute of Taxation. So thank you very much for joining us, Bill. Welcome to The Loop. Great. Thanks very much for inviting me and glad to talk to another president. Thank you. I wonder if you want to tell us a bit about your background. I understand you initially thought you might be a solicitor. And so how did you end up getting into tax? And perhaps then also a little bit about the role of tax director at the OTS. I mean, for some reason, when I was about 15, I thought that it would be a good idea to be a solicitor. I can't explain it because, you know, my parents weren't involved with anything like that at all. My father was a civil engineer and my mother a teacher. Um, But anyway, that led to me going to uh, study law at university. And again, for reasons I I just can't explain, I just thought tax sounded interesting. Um, And so I went and studied it in in doing a master's. Um, And... uh, I did indeed find it absolutely fascinating. And that led me to joining a firm called Arthur Anderson um, because I was advised at the time that uh, tax in solicitors firms was really uh, quite modest in scope. And there was a lot more in the bigger accountancy based professional services firms. And I think that's very much the case today. Um, Obviously, law firms very much have tax specialists and there are some areas which are specific to law, if you like. But the vast bulk of taxation advice and indeed tax compliance um, is, is done in the professional services firms, large and small. Uh, so that that's how I sort of got started. I've really enjoyed the journey. For me, tax remains a sort of absolutely fascinating thing. Um, you know, I've never wanted to be a, a you know, head of a tax department. You know, run Management is definitely not for me. Um, but focusing on what we can do better in the tax world is something of, of great interest. And and tax, as you know, always changes. Um, Nothing is static here. And that's a great thing, really, because it means that you're always going to stay learning. You're always going to have new and interesting things to do. Now, the Office of Tax Simplification, which, um, as you know, is going to close. It was a decision of the uh, Liz Trust quasi Quarteng, a uh, very short period, and but it's been upheld by the current team uh, by Jeremy Hunt. Um, so our last report is going to be on hybrid and distance working, and that's coming out by Christmas, and that really is the closure of the the office. Um, being a tax director there has been, been fascinating for me because. It's another job that moves into looking all the taxes together. You know, you described yourself, Susan, as, a, as a, an employment specialist. And if you'd asked me when I was at Deloitte, I'd have probably said I was a corporate specialist. And that's what's happened. Our careers have all become more focused around specific areas of tax law. But when you go to somewhere like the OTS, you're actually having to look at everything. And that's a really great thing to 
have the opportunity to do, I, I would say. And I think that's, you know, that's right. I mean, you know, we did we did tax exams a long time ago and you do <laughs> the wide variety in that. And then you then you find a lot of us find anyway, not everybody that we do end up specialising. You can even say today that being a generalist is is a specialism in its own right, if you like. It's, <laughs> and, and they have to know a huge amount of stuff yeah. because both since you and yeah. I started, the legislation's got, you know, significantly bigger. So, uh, yes, yes, so it has expanded a little, I know. Just, just a little. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I mean, it sort of leads me on actually to talking about um, the GAR panel work, because, again, I think that's very wide in its remit. And, and certainly, you know, since it started and more recently, we've seen perhaps more opinions coming out of them. Perhaps you could talk a little bit about that, because I think that's quite interesting. Yes, sure. Um, the, the general anti-abuse rule was introduced into UK law uh, with effect from July 2013. And it was seen as a sort of bit of a, a nuclear weapon, if you like, in that it overrides uh, existing tax law. So the theory was that if HMRC were going to apply the GAR to kill off um, what looked like a some form of uh, avoidance scheme, that they needed to get an opinion from um, a group of independent people um, who would ask with the question, was what the taxpayer did a reasonable course of action in the context of the legislation um, that we've actually got? And so that's why we have a, an advisory panel. Um, cases are referred to us. Uh, the reason that numbers have sort of gone up recently is really you know, a result of COVID. During the COVID times, a lot of HMRC's effort was devoted to other areas. And so some of the GAR cases were you know, held up a little bit in the pipeline and quite a few of them have emerged from all of that now. It looks like not many cases, there's only 20 odd, but HMRC's stakeholder report says that actually that applies to well over 3,000 taxpayers. Uh, and that's because quite a lot of what is referred to us um, is one specific um, taxpayer implementing something which is a marketed scheme. Uh, so most of the stuff that's been referred to the panel it are, are marketed schemes from all of that. Um, most of the, almost all the opinions um, have supported the use of the GAR in a specific case. Uh, there's been one which has not. Maybe that's a good thing, really, uh, because it suggests that, you know, there's a reasonable check and balance. You know, HMRC are pretty careful about what they refer. And, and I think until I joined the panel, I didn't realise how much work it was for HMRC actually to make that referral. Um, so that's sort of worth just understanding that HMRC are not going to wield the guard lightly um, because of all the safeguards and the procedural issues involved with it, which, you know, these are all taxpayer protections, and but they're probably not quite as overt, if you like, as people perhaps had realised. I have to say, when I've looked through these things, I mean, quite a few of them, you just look at and think, how, how did anyone think that was going to work? That's why it, the panel in most cases has ruled that, you know, what happened in a particular case was not a reasonable course of action in the context of the, the legislation. Uh, so that's where it is. We're now moving to cases involving enablers. So in other words, people who've promoted or been involved in the management of tax arrangements. Um, and I think it's a sort of next step. Again, the GAR panel is there as a safeguard for um, for the, the professionals involved. 
which is really, I mean, interesting. And it will be interesting, obviously, for us to see what then happens next with that, as, as you say, and whether we, whilst there's a backlog, and that's why we've had a few cases recently, mm-hmm. what we have seen from HMRC is a lot more activity in, mm-hmm. in that sort of area anyway. So whether sure. there's going to be more going forward. Um, perhaps sort of changing tack a little bit, um, kind of covered a bit of your career now yeah. <laughs> in the discussion. I mean, um, you know, is there anyone who's particularly influenced you in getting there or anything, um, you know, you can tell us about how, how you ended up doing all of these things and, and, and the journey you've taken. Was it planned? Uh, I'm not sure anyone's career is completely planned. Uh, you know, when I joined Arthur Anderson, I thought I was going to be there for a few years, earn some money and then go off to the bar and be a barrister. You'll have noticed I didn't do that. <laughs> I very much enjoyed working with a team that was great and the sort of range and variety of work, um, you know, really appealed to me. And I've very much enjoyed that. Um, People who have been key influences. Well, there's there's probably uh, at least two people. Uh, John Whiting would definitely be one of them. Um, John is one of the sort of leading lights, I think, over my career in the tax profession. Um, He's also been one of the best communicators in tax, Um, possibly does less media work these days. Uh, But he was constantly on the radio, television, in the press, telling us about tax. And I think that's a really important thing for all of us who work in it, is to think, how can we convey this complicated subject we're involved in? How can we convey that? Uh, in a a sense that regular people who aren't trained tax experts can understand what it's about and understand the choices and made and all that sort of thing. Uh, And John has always been absolutely brilliant at that. For me, he's been a key influence and he's also been a great help and, you know, giving me advice and so on. Um, John Cullinane is another um, person who uh, John first set me off at the Charleston Institute of Tax. He, he, you know, suggested to me I should join the International Tax uh, Committee, uh, which I did and moved to chair that. And uh, I was invited to join the council and was elected to the council. Um, And I chaired the technical committee, which, again, you know, gave me a sort of real interest in that breadth of uh, subject, because um, at Deloitte, where I was at the time, uh, you know, naturally the focus would be on larger companies and um, probably uh, wealthier individuals. But the CIT, of course, and the ATT um, are hugely involved in that whole breadth and you know, so that for me it was fascinating. It was great preparation, if you like, for joining the OTS uh, a, a few years later. And then, you know, inevitably, that there's several people at Anderson and Deloitte who have been really influential. David Cruikshank, the past chair of Deloitte and past head of tax. Fabulous person to work for, uh, very thoughtful. Uh, David was, you know, the person who set the policy many, many years ago that Deloitte would not get involved with designing personal tax schemes. Um, and that was well before the market. And he rightly saw that that was just an unacceptable area. And he took that decision early, even though it you know, probably cost some revenue at the time. And, and then I've you know, been fortunate in a number of partners at Anderson who've you know, trained me and uh, helped me sort of learn. Uh, so, yeah. It's it's great when you've got people who are prepared to share their knowledge, albeit, you know, how you communicate 
um, you know, simplistically tax matters to somebody who perhaps doesn't understand it as well as you do. I think, and, yeah. and actually, I think that's a really good learning point for anybody who, um, you know, whatever profession they're in, whatever you do, if you can explain it to somebody else in a way that they can understand it, it it's, you know, fantastic. It, get, it gets you a long way. So, <laughs> yeah, um, it's, it's one of the reasons that you and I will think, you know, why is tax complicated? Part of it is because of the language. And, you know, the more we can do to simplify that will help regular people understand things better. No, which sort of leads me nicely on to what do you think the trends are affecting business and, and perhaps individuals over the next few years um, in the tax world? Well, I, I'm, I'm really hoping that, you know, for us in the UK, we will see enhanced uh, digitization of the tax system. You know, we have a sort of um, intermediary led tax system. Uh, and by that, I mean that, you know, large amounts of tax are collected by businesses, either through pay as you earn or through VAT. Uh, and handed over uh, to the Exchequer, to HMRC and, and so on and so forth. Um, but the scope for more to be done there, particularly as technology is now completely pervasive through the economy. Um, some of the work at the OTS has been around that. What sort of information can intermediaries provide to help taxpayers and at the same time help HMRC as well um, get it right because that's what actually most of us really want so, you know we could get bank interest um, provided in a manner that was usable directly fed into your your tax account so that you could see how much you'd earned because the bank had reported it and you could identify an error and that sort of thing if there had been one um, but lots of the heavy lifting would be done for you through all of that and there are other instances too dividends uh, obviously dividends from owner managed companies are different but dividends portfolio dividends from quoted companies or funds you know those could be returns to hmrc as well just help that sort of general reporting um and so that's i think the single biggest area i i'd hope to see we all know there are problems in the UK tax system. The split between employment and self-employment is complicated. And by self-employment, we really mean freelancers, people providing primarily labour-based services. The reason it's complicated is, is because we've got a ludicrous definition based on lots and lots of different tax cases. Um, and if you want a simple rule of simplification, if you've got an area where there's too many tax cases, it's a problem. You need to do something about it. Um, but the underlying issue is economic. I mean, the, the tax burden, if you like, is quite different for an employee versus a, a freelancer or a self-employed person. And where it's so much lower to be a freelancer, you, you can see that there are incentives on all sorts of people in the market, whether individuals or engagers or whatever, to go down a particular route. So we need to do something about that, I, I would suggest, particularly as we move to more flexible markets. We can't have a situation where tax base is hollowed out because rightly we're taking advantage of technology generally, um, but we've got to do it in a manner that people just end up paying similar levels of tax and your choices are made by commercial or family or business factors rather than based on tax. Do you think actually media coverage of tax issues is helpful to the general public or not? Because we've seen so much more of that over mm -hmm. the last few mm -hmm. years. 
Um, it seems to be regularly in the paper and obviously more recently we had a lot of it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, of course. Some of it's very helpful, but not all of it is the honest answer. That isn't to be critical of the journalists involved because I think we need to acknowledge the burden that they carry. Um, there are very few tax specialist journalists around. For me, those of us you know, tax advisors actually have a positive responsibility to help journalists understand the issues. I, I still do some, you know, background briefing for people um, who'd like to discuss, how, you know, some of the, the approach to various things. Helping people understand the numbers involved is also really important. You can only make good policy if you've got good data. So how many individuals, how much money, um, how often have they got to report, all those sort of, you know, critical things. We, we those of us in the tax advisory world can actually help with. If you're explaining um, tax to you know, a client, then you're dealing with someone who isn't a tax person um, and you are trying to make those tax concepts accessible and that's what you're trying to do with journalists too. So I would encourage people to spend more time with journalists. I was going to say when I was thinking about things and you know, about writing and, and some of the things that if you just you know need to look at one particular area and you want to try out um you know we've got much more social media than we ever had certainly when i started my career we didn't have that so I'm sure that it's yes. the same bill so you know there are there are ways now of of, of you know writing things in, in in a way which condenses it and, and particular is issue focused that might mm -hmm. help to as a stepping stone to learn perhaps how to do more and more of that and as you say mm -hmm. um perhaps you know talk to some journalists because there are certainly ways that journalists present things that's perhaps different to us as tax yeah. professionals would normally do. Um, yes, no, I, I absolutely agree with you there. Um, I think as well, you know, use of graphics can yeah. often help people understand things. Um, but where you've got a sort of useful picture, um, then it really just highlights what exactly is going on and, and helps people get to the, the whole question, the issue. Um, you know, we've, we've just finished seeing the autumn statement. Um, capital gains uh, annual exempt amounts is going to be cut in the future. Well, just have a look at little graph in uh, the Office of Tax Simplification Capital Gains Report. And you'll see that, you know, the number of transactions at particular levels just goes flat, flat, and then it spikes at a massive number just below the, um, the the current annual exempt amount. And that tells you that people are planning to use that annual exempt amount, which is absolutely fine. Um, but it's not just there to save administration. It's it's actually got a sort of further benefit. And the Chancellor has obviously decided to remove that benefit for a, a range of people going forward. But it gives you, you know, it gives you a sense as to what people have been doing uh, and perhaps as to why the Chancellor's made the choices he's chosen to make. But it links nicely into, a, you know, what the OTS has been up to um, yes, whilst it's yes. been around. So, I mean, you know, yeah. it's many achievements. I think the first report, um, it, it managed to achieve getting 40 reliefs abolished. Um, mm. But more recently, um, in July, there was actually a report on the principle of simplification and, and, and how that would factor in tax policy generally, mm. questions for officials and ministers to consider perhaps in a developing policy. Obviously, we were expecting the one on hybrid working, but we've just had one on residential property. So sure. I don't know, what, what are sort of the, maybe the highs and highs and lows sort of, uh, <laughs> from your opinion of the OTS and, and what do you think has been particularly successful? And, and, you know, there's obviously some clear stuff that's made a difference in there. 
Well, I do think one of the things that the office has done ever since it started has been to sort of shine a light on the UK tax system. You mentioned that very first report about tax reliefs. And um, what I would say it did was it was the first time that uh, anybody had attempted to count and categorise the number of reliefs in the system. Uh, and it was over a thousand at the time. It was, um, I, I think it was a thousand and forty-two, which is why George Osborne um, abolished 43, uh, <laughs> just to tip it below. And now it's nearly 1,200 reliefs in the system, partly because, um, you know, we've had a lot of new taxes. So new taxes always have reliefs to go with it. But until the OTS did that piece of work, nobody had really focused on it. And now it's been picked up by the National Audit Office and the Public Accounts Committee and HMRC and the Treasury are doing a lot more work in, you know, asking themselves, are these, uh, for the, particularly for non-structural reliefs, are we getting value for money? And that, that's exactly what, you know, is, is right thing to happen. But it was kick-started by the OTS. You also mentioned that flagship, you know, should we merge the base of national insurance and income tax? Um Basically, that report showed that if you did, it would take about five years and there'd be about seven million winners and about seven million losers. And I think when you understand the scale of that and the length of time to achieve it, that's why it hasn't happened. And But it again, there's a mass of data put in front of people in understanding how the tax and national insurance system works, which is a, a really good thing. I do think one of the big achievements has been consultation. Um, the OTS has been good at getting around the UK, um, talking to anybody and everybody to understand how tax really works. It's had some excellent surveys with individuals filling them in. You know, that property one you referred to has had, you know, over three and a half thousand individual responses there. Uh, which has been really helpful in understanding people's own stories, can their their lived experience of the tax system as non-tax specialists. Uh, and that, you know, I fear will be lost when the OTS closes because I, I'm not sure I can see how HMRC or the Treasury can do that sort of thing uh, in the same way that an independent body such as the OTS could actually do. So it's, you know, bringing data into people, um, spending time getting detailed feedback, uh, as well as all the, you know, the sensible recommendations. And it's both been looking at the taxes we've got, capital gains tax, for example, um, but also thinking about the future. Uh, so, you know, I'm proud of the work that we've done on how more intermediaries could report into the system. Uh, how the single customer account, that merger of the personal tax account and the business's tax account, how that could work for people going forward um, in a much expanded way and become a sort of real hub for interaction between individual taxpayers and HMRC. But wouldn't it be great if instead of having to do a full-blown tax return, all they had to do is report one item? And, you know, if we invest more in our system, we should be able to get to that so that you just deal with, you know, the occasional one off item rather than the quite significant complexity of doing an overall tax return. If we imagine a world where you're in charge of the tax system, what would you change? <laughs> I, I think what I would do is I'd invest in systems um, and I'd look to change our tax year. Uh, you know, it's all very quaint to tell little stories about why we've got 5th of April, but it's just quaint it's not 
it functioning and effective. The best option for us as a country would be to adopt 31st December. And the reason I say that is because that is the most common year tax year end around the world. And that's the way in which all this international exchange of information works. And if we as a country want to make best use of that, and that is only going to go up in volume uh, over time, then we need to have a tax year that sort of fits with that international consensus uh, and helps us move forward in, in that sort of practical way. But, I, you know, investing in digitalization is absolutely critical. So that means investing more in HMRC. It means making choices about digital identity because you can only operate a system if we've got digital identification sorted out. Um, and, and there's a range of different answers to that, but we've actually got to start asking those questions uh, in government uh, because none of this is going to happen soon. Uh, and so laying those foundations for the next 20 years by doing some work now with a view to action in the next five years for me is what I'd like to see doing. I, th I think that's a great point, actually. Um, and, and, you know, perhaps one we, we should leave out there in the ether <laughs> and maybe, <laughs> and may, maybe um, you know, consider that, that that's the end of our chat today, because I, I think it's a really good point to leave on. And it's been extremely interesting talking to you, Bill. So thank you very much for, for you know, joining us today. Um, if you would like to connect with us and talk to us about tax, obviously, um, you can find us on www.rsmuk.com and our contact details are on the show notes. To stay in touch with The Loop, just to subscribe to The Loop, we're always keen to hear your views. So please rate us and leave us feedback. We look forward to you joining us in the next episode. Thank you. <laughs>